Good to see you this morning, and it's a pretty exciting day because after almost 21 years of being at church, we finally got the sanctuary to the right temperature. So really enjoying it this morning. I know uh, many of you are a little chilly, but it's perfect for this guy up here. So glad to be here. Boy, were the mountains awesome this morning. Did you see our local mountains? This is the day that the Lord has made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Also want to mention this Wednesday night, uh, first Wednesday of the month, it's Praise Night, and we have a very special guest uh, worship leader coming, Hans Ives, who is uh, the worship leader for the Harvest Crusades and Harvest and a longtime friend, and uh, he'll be here leading us uh, Wednesday night in worship. So I encourage you to come on out for that. It's always a special evening uh, every time we're together for Praise Night. But uh, it's an added bonus, if you will, to have Hans with us. So I encourage you, come on out for that. And I know you'll be here. Amen. Well, are you ready this morning? We're going to look at our word for the year for the last time this year. And if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80 will be our reading together. Now, we're going to take a bit of a different approach to our PowerPoint word for the year, so to speak, and our verse and those that are surrounding it. And as we visit our word for the year for the last time this year and looking forward to our word for 2020, which is, again, a very timely word. And I got it about three months ago and you're going to get it on New Year's Eve if you come to join us. And we come to our verse this morning with not just a seasonally appropriate set of verses, but also a prophetically significant set of verses. Now, the topic of our text and PowerPoint verse for December is the birth of John the Baptist. And the backdrop is his father, Zacharias, who was a Levite and therefore a priest, had been told by the angel Gabriel that his wife Elizabeth were going, he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a child in their old age, much like Abraham or Abram and Sarai were told, Abraham and Sarah, when they gave birth. But remember in Genesis 18, when Sarah overheard the Lord giving this news to Abraham, that she laughed within herself. And later, Abraham would ponder within himself, are we now going to be blessed after all these years with a child in our own age? Well, Zacharias, upon hearing the news that there was going to be a son born to he and his wife, he didn't laugh, but he did ask Gabriel, how can these things be, seeing that I'm an old man and Elizabeth is advanced in years? Now, the answer was this from Gabriel in Luke 1, 19 to 22. He answered Zacharias and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias. He was in the temple uh, lighting incense unto the Lord and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Now, I don't know if it's just the testosterone in me or what, but man, I love Gabriel's answer to Zacharias. I love what he says. In other words, Zacharias says, how can this be? Gabriel doesn't explain it. 
He simply cites his credentials. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Now listen, someday we're going to see this scene. Someday we too are going to stand in the presence of God. Someday we're going to see him who sits on the throne. Someday we're going to see the four living creatures who cease not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Someday we're going to see Gabriel standing next to the Lord. Someday we're going to see Michael the archangel and the heavenly host who have served the Lord faithfully. Someday we're going to see the saints of old. Someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. Somebody say amen. Now, I have to say, I am blessed that we serve a God who does the impossible with ease. And his power is not limited by difficult circumstances, and there is nothing too hard for him. He can make an old couple have a baby whenever he wishes, and he has done so in the past. Now, Between the announcement to Zacharias and the birth of his son, John the Baptist, Gabriel actually paid another visit to someone. This time it wasn't an aged couple, but rather it was a Jewish teenager named Mary. And he said to her in Luke 1.30 to 32, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name what? Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father or ancestor David and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Mary, like Abraham, like Zacharias, also wanted to know how could these things be since she had never known A man. And if you want to know what that phrase, known a man, means, you can see Pastor Dave after the service. Now, thus her giving birth was virtually impossible. Now, Gabriel doesn't do what he did with Zacharias for questioning his message after he cited his own credentials as being one who stands in the presence of God, but rather he gave her this answer. In Luke 135, the angel Gabriel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow shadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called who? The Son of God. Now, here's the point and what leads to our topic and title, very seasonally appropriate this morning. Before Jesus was born, there was a flurry of prophetic activity to say nothing of when he walked the earth. Before Jesus was crucified, there was a flurry of prophetic activity. Before Jesus returns, the Bible says there's going to be a flurry of prophetic activity, beginning with the return of the Jews to their God-given national homeland of Israel. Listen, we, like Abraham and Sarah, we, like Zacharias and Elizabeth, we, like Mary and Joseph, are living in a very privileged season of human history, church history also, because the fact is the Lord, the Son of God, is going to return and sit on the throne of David not too many years from now. And prior to his return, there's something else that happens, and we like to call it the great escape. And that is we will escape the wrath that is coming upon the whole world through the rapture of the church. Now, some people say that sounds impossible. Other people say that sounds too good to be true. 
Still others say that's nothing but a silly fable believed by weak-minded fools. But the truth is, everything that the Bible said would be happening before Jesus comes again to the earth is either happening today or the precursors to its fulfillment are lining up that will be fulfilled during the tribulation. And Zacharias and those blessed to live in the time of Jesus lived in a season of great prophetic activity. And we too live in such a season. And therefore, our very seasonally appropriate title must be this morning. And here it is, Tis the Season. Our title is Tis the Season. Now, it's not necessarily the season to be jolly, but it's the season to preach Christ and Him crucified. Now, it is certainly the Christmas season, which began, according to Costco, sometime in (laughs) mid-October. But it's a season of history where things are lining up for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, our time this blessed Sunday morning, this first Sunday in December, is going to be spent examining what the Holy Spirit spoke through Zacharias at John the Baptist's circumcision eight days after he was born. Now, Luke 159.66 will set it up for us, where we're told, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, or Zacharias 2.0. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to the father what he would have, have him called, And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, doing what? Praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Listen, we live in a season where it's time to be telling people Jesus is coming again. It's time to be praising God for all the wonderful things that are going on in our lives in the days in which we now live. So let's read what Zacharias prophesied after the Lord reopened his mouth about the one whom his son would be the forerunner too. And the one he would be the forerunner to is the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And he is also the one who is coming again, first to meet the church in the air, and then with the church back to the earth to rule and reign in righteousness. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand this morning and read with me please from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 800. No, just kidding. 80. 67 through 80. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, 
to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And Lord, we would add this morning that our desire is that which we read this morning, that Zechariah spoke over the ministry of his own son and the one he would point to, that we too would grow in the faith and be strong in the faith and bold in the Lord in these last days where the world is in a spiritual wilderness We recognize the only hope and answer today is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's Jesus. So speak to our hearts, we pray, and give us ears to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, our first seasonally appropriate point will come from verses 67 through 69, where Zacharias blesses the God of Israel for visiting his people. The Lord is about to visit his people once again when he returns to the earth some seven plus years from this very day. Now, he then calls the one whom his son will announce the arrival of a redeemer. He labels him as the power of salvation. Remember, in scripture, a horn is symbolic of power. Now, in John 1, 19 to 23, we're told this is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you? Are are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us, that being the scribes and the Pharisees. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, the first thing I want to draw your attention to this morning is that when the Holy Spirit filled Zacharias, he didn't talk about his own son, even though he mentioned him in verse 76. He talked about Jesus. And later when John is pressed about, John the Baptist is pressed about who he was, he denied he was the Christ. He denied he was Elijah. He denied he was the prophet spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy 18.5. And finally the priest said to him and the Levites, then who are you? And John says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now John did not talk about or promote himself But rather he quotes from Isaiah 40 verse 3 that he is the one voice crying in the wilderness and his mission is to make straight, which means to steer a path to the Lord. Now, remember Jesus and John were both 30 years old. They were born six months apart and they were cousins. John being about six months the elder. And it was now that Jesus was himself about to begin his ministry. So John is sent prior to the ministry of Jesus, to be a voice in the wilderness to steer people to the Lord. Now, I submit to you this morning, tis the season before Christ returns. 
We are in a season of a great spiritual wilderness in our country and around the world. And our mission today is to steer people to Jesus. And in Amos 8, I'll take that one amen. The rest you need to get on board here this morning. Now listen, Amos 8:11 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of a thirst for water, but of what? Hearing the words of the Lord. Now, I think we all recognize that there are many churches today in our world where the word of God is not taught, but it's rather substituted with the social gospel or maybe the prosperity teaching or some other gospel with fictional events and fictional people inserted alongside the biblical narrative. Some have books that they deem to be more important than the Bible or a corrected version of the Bible. So we are living in a season where there is a famine of hearing the word of God. Now, that tells us Jesus is about to return and fulfill what Zechariah spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that Jesus came once as Redeemer, and he's coming again as Ruler. And before he does, it's going to be a time of spiritual wilderness created by a famine of hearing the Word of God. So what do we do in this season? Be jolly? No, here's our answer this morning, and thank you for asking. Listen. Our mission is to preach Christ, not promote the church. Our mission is to preach Christ, not promote the church. Now, listen, if there's one single subject I get more mail about than any other, it is church growth. How to grow your church. Well, listen, if I had a church, it'd be a mess. This is not my church. This is God's church. Christ is the head of this church. Somebody say amen. Now, the rest of the mail I get is about keeping the people that attend your church. And they phrase it as shutting the back door to your church. Listen, God already has a no-miss church growth plan. It's preach Christ, Him crucified, and the Lord will add to the church daily those who are being saved. Now... In light of the famine of hearing the word of God today, we need to remember how John the Beloved opened his gospel account, a man distinct from John the Baptist, but one of the twelve Jesus initially chose, who labeled himself as the one whom Jesus loved. In his gospel record of basically the last six months of Jesus' earthly ministry, John writes this in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. I'm sorry the Jehovah Witnesses are wrong. That doesn't read the Word was a God. There's only one God manifested in three distinct personages, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, John goes on to say in 114, And the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. And what? And truth. Now, Psalm 119, 160 reminds us the entirety of your word is Truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Now listen, this is important this morning because it reminds us that you cannot say you preach Christ if you do not preach the whole counsel of God. 
The fact is, if a church is not preaching the word, it's not preaching Christ. And there is a rampant famine of hearing the word of God today. And that is why there are many who come to church but never come to Christ. We need to preach Christ. We need to preach the word. Now, one more thing before we move on. Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty-two to 33, Therefore, whoever does what? confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is where? In heaven. Romans 10, 8 and 9. Paul writes, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in what? Your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the truth is not in us. What did Psalm 119, 160 say? The entirety of his word is truth. Now, it took three sets of verses to get to the one thing. But here's the one thing that I wanted to mention. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Now, when Jesus said, confess me before men, he didn't mean say my name out loud so other people can hear you say it. Romans 10.9 is far too frequently quoted without the context setting verse of verse 8, which makes a connection between the word, the mouth, and the heart. And 1 John connects the uh, truth and the truth, or confession with the truth, and the truth in this case is the word of God. So here's the one thing that we've been moving toward. Since the Holy Spirit makes an inseparable connection between Jesus and the word, listen, you cannot Call Jesus your Lord and reject any portion of his word. Because the word confess in all three sets of verses means to see as or speak of as the same. So listen this morning. If you are a Christian, you will agree with the Bible's definitions of sin. You will agree with all the moral standards of the Bible. You will agree with the Bible's definition of marriage. You will agree with the Bible's list of genders. You will agree with the Bible's moral directives concerning sexual activity. And the fact is, if you reject his word in your heart, according to the Holy Spirit, The truth is not in you. That means the word is not in you. That means Jesus is the word. You cannot take a cut and paste approach to the word of God and say you are a Christian. Somebody say amen. Now, there is a famine of hearing the word of God today. And people need to hear us preach Christ, not promote the church. Now. Let's keep moving this morning in verses 70 through 75 and take a second uh, glance there. As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, I mentioned this numerous times in the past, but I've always found it amazing and wonderful that the very first thing we read after the Bible reports on the fall of man, the deception of Eve and the sin of Adam, the next thing we read is the Lord speaking to Satan, telling him this in the garden after he deceived Eve and Adam's sin. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, listen, there are two ways to interpret this verse, and I believe both are right. We know that the man bears the seed in the procreative process, and if you need information on that, see Pastor Dave after the service. And thus this verse speaks of or implies a supernaturally conceived male child. That's one way to look at it. I think that's an accurate way to look at it. Secondly, the woman who will bear the son refers to the nation of Israel through whom the one who would bruise, meaning to fall upon or crush the serpent's head, would come. Jesus came through the Jewish people. Jesus was supernaturally conceived. Now, Zacharias points back to this moment in his revelation of God's plan since the world began, which was spoken of down through the ages by the prophets. And verse 71 reminds us that when reading reading prophecy, when, sorry, did a little Elmer Fudd there for a moment, but... Verse 71 reminds us that when reading prophecy, we need to keep in mind the two comings of Jesus. Remember, he first came as redeemer and he's returning as deliverer and conqueror. Now, when Jesus first came, did he die for the sins of the whole world that the whole world might be saved? Absolutely. Did he deliver Israel from all of her enemies? And the hands of those who seek her destruction. No, that is yet unfulfilled. Now, since he has already redeemed or paid the redemption price for our sin in his own blood, that means and demands he must be coming again to deliver and perform the mercy prophetically promised to the fathers, beginning with the oath he swore to Abraham of blessing those who bless him and cursing those who curse him and making him a great nation through which all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Speaking of the coming Messiah through the tribe of Judah. Now, is all of Israel serving God without fear today? No. Is Israel living in an eternal state of holiness and righteousness? No. So he must be coming again. In Zechariah 12.10, the prophet says, And I will pour on the house of David, the Lord speaking, obviously, and on the inhabitants of what city? Jerusalem, which demands the Jews have possession of all of Jerusalem at the time of the end, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then... They will look on me, whom they, what? Pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In other words, the Jews will look back on their history and their rejection of the Messiah they were waiting for, and it will cause them to grieve and mourn and also repent. Now, has this happened yet? Well, that means Jesus must be 
coming again. Now, if his coming is near, then we would expect to see a flurry of prophetic activity like it was true when he came the first time. Now, here's the point in this season of church history. Here's a reminder and a warning in our second consideration for this season that we are living in. Listen, this is the worst time to ignore or deny the importance of Bible prophecy. This is the worst time to ignore or deny the importance of Bible prophecy. Now, there's all kinds of derogatory things said about Bible prophecy and prophecy teachers. I've had some wonderful comments made on YouTube and the church's Facebook page. People are always so encouraging and never say anything negative. (laughs) Yeah, right. But sadly, most of the negative press comes from within our own ranks. It comes from inside the church or the greater what's called the church today. But listen, we need to be careful about doing such things as this is what exactly what happened when Jesus came the first time among the Jews, including among those who were supposed to be the most knowledgeable of the word of God. In this group, the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus addressed in Matthew 16, 1 to 3, when they came to him and testing him, asking he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. What's he call them? Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Jesus rebuked the most biblically educated people at the time for not discerning that the scriptures had foretold of his coming. Remember the two dejected disciples on the Emmaus Road the very day Jesus resurrected from the dead? They were going home. They said, we thought this was the deliverer of Israel. Now he's dead. He's been dead for three days. And then a couple of women now have come along and said that he has risen and that they have seen him. And he said, oh, foolish in heart and slow to believe, did not the scriptures say that the Messiah must suffer these many things and then be raised from the dead. Now, we are living in the time of the signs that is one of the most blessed times in the history of the church. The Jews are back in their God-appointed homeland, which signal the beginning of the end. 72 years now have passed, which tells us we are at the end of the beginning. And the next thing to happen on the prophetic calendar is the removal of the church in a moment and twinkling of an eye. And then God fulfilling the foretold 70th week of Daniel when he deals with Daniel's people and Daniel's city or the Jews in Jerusalem. Now in Revelation 19, 9 and 10, an angel said to John, "Right, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. Now, one of the most foremost theologians of modern times, an author of over 30 books, most of which dealt with the subject of eschatology, John Walvoord wrote this about Revelation 19.10 and Jesus being the spirit of prophecy. He said this, and I quote, The concluding phrase of verse 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, means that prophecy at its very heart is designed to unfold the beauty and loveliness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
In the present age, therefore, the Spirit of God is not only to glorify Christ, but to show believers things to come as they relate to his person and majesty. Christ is not only the major theme of the scriptures, but also the central theme of prophecy. The phrase is an apt introduction to Christ's second coming in glory to the earth, end quote. Now, if you remember, when John the Baptist was asked who he was, and he, he then sent word to Jesus asking uh, his disciples if Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said, you tell John, and then he gave a list of prophecies that he was fulfilling from Isaiah 61 as his answer. And thus, Jesus is the heart of prophecy. He is the subject of prophecy. And prophecy is God's manner of communicating to his people things concerning his foretold both coming and return. Now, why would anyone want to deny the importance of the prophetic aspect of, of Scripture is a mystery to me. And listen, I have heard more times than I can count that those who teach prophecy are sensationalists or we and I have been called an alarmist. And the truth is, prophecy is what makes the Bible sensational. Prophecy is what distinguishes the Bible from every other religious writing. Only the Bible has the audacity to speak things in advance before they happen. And they happen exactly as the Bible foretold. And listen, you want to call me an alarmist? Call me an alarmist. People ought to be alarmed if they're unsaved, that the Messiah is coming again, and the signs are all around us that the Lord is coming soon. I think the Bible is sensational. I think part of it, especially uh, the prophetic part, ought to alarm people into doing something about their fallen state and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, God foretold before Jesus' first coming that a man would precede him and make straight the way of the Lord. The Bible is also foretold before Jesus' second coming, there's coming another man, but he's going to draw people away from the Lord. He's going to deceive the whole world but it is going to open the door for the second coming of Christ to the earth at the end of the 70th week of Daniel of the Great Tribulation. Now, if the Lord wanted to confirm his first coming through prophecy, why would anyone reject he would do the same before his second? But it happens all the time. But we're not going to deny the prophetic element of Scripture at CCT, we're going to continue to speak of the things that God has told us in advance to tell us our redemption is nigh. It's time for us to be looking up. Amen? Amen. Now, let's look at 76 through 80 one more time. Now, Zechariah addresses his son. He speaks to the eight-day-old child and says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring or the rising of the sun from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child, John the Baptist, grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now, our last section for this blessed year is rich with imagery and metaphor. And it connects us back to our PowerPoint verse for the month, which is verse 68, where Luke writes, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited 
and redeemed his people. Zechariah speaking again. He now speaks over his son and the ministry that he will one day fulfill. And he defines preparing the way of the Lord and what the Lord's going to do at his visitation of man. Now the word visited in both 68 and 78, the primary meaning is to inspect or to look upon. It also means in the context of our verses to look upon in order to help or benefit. Now, our verse for the month tells us that we have been blessed because the Lord God of Israel has looked upon his people to benefit them with redemption. Now, how this happened is happens is defined in 77 to 29. He gives the knowledge of salvation that comes through the remission of sin. And the remission of sin is made possible by the tender mercy of God with which the sunrise from on high has visited us for the purpose of giving light, light being symbolic of truth, to those who sit in darkness of the shadow of death and guide them into the way of peace. People are seeking world peace today. There will be no world peace until the Prince of Peace comes and ushers it in. Amen? Now, Isaiah 9, 2-7 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of or day of Midian. Speaking back to Gideon and his conquest. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning in the fuel of fire. Now here's how this is going to happen. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, meaning world rule will be the responsibility of the child born and the son given. And his name or his characteristics will be, he is wonderful, counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David, the reign, uh, the role of uh, sovereign ruler of the earth and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts or Lord of armies will perform this. Now, Zacharias obviously draws from the words of Isaiah as he speaks of the future ministry of his son in preparing the way of the Lord when the Lord arrives to inspect for the sake of their help and benefit his people Israel through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed as was promised to Abram in Genesis 12. Now, Zacharias presents to us really a perfect picture of the gospel. The knowledge of sin and therefore the need of Savior. The Savior who redeems those who walk in darkness as an expression of the tender mercy of God. Mercy meaning by definition kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted. Now this kindness toward the miserable and afflicted was manifested by the light who came into the world that people would no longer walk in darkness, but find the peace of God through being delivered from darkness and the shadow of death. Aren't you glad that death has no 
power over us. The second death has been destroyed. For those who believe we will not spend eternity separated from God, we will spend eternity with God and forever be with him and be like him. Now, here's our last point reminding us about the season in which we now live. Listen this morning. Mankind's greatest need is to know they need a savior. Mankind's greatest need is to know they need a savior. Now, this is what the Lord came to do, to give the knowledge that salvation comes through the remission of sins. And therefore, Leviticus 17, 11 reminds us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your what? Souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The the remission of sin requires a shedding of blood. The shedding of blood has to come through an innocent victim. No one was more innocent than Jesus, falsely accused, living this life in sinless perfection, yet executed like a criminal for the sins of other people. Now, as John grew and became strong in the spirit, he lived in the desert until it was time for him to prepare the way of the Lord. And when the time came, he became the voice of one crying in the wilderness that the Messiah, the Lamb of God, was coming on the scene. Now, people who say God is love and therefore everyone goes to heaven don't see their need for a savior. People who say that some people are basically good and therefore they go to heaven and bad people go to hell. They don't see their need for a savior. In John 16, 5 to 12, Jesus said, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper The one who comes alongside the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will. What's his first ministry? What's the first ministry of the Holy Spirit? He will what? Convict the world of what? Of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to what? To come. He'll tell you what's coming in the future. Now, the first thing Zacharias says the Lord will do is make Israel aware that they are in need of the remission of sins through the blood of the Savior. The first thing Jesus mentioned the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes and when he's sent by Jesus is convict the world of sin. Now listen this morning. It is the time for us to be strong in the faith. It is time for us to be accurate in the word. It is time for you and I to walk in the Spirit. And we need to recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And thus all people need a savior. And God has sent only one savior into the world. And that is Christ the Lord. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Where does the father live? 
He lives in heaven. Jesus said you cannot get to heaven except through me. And you can only gain access to heaven by having your sins being remitted. And it all begins where Jesus' ministry began and where the Holy Spirit began his ministry. And that is with the conviction of sin and thus recognizing our need for the Savior and also the tender mercies of God when he sent his son into the world to show goodwill to all men because all are miserable and afflicted apart from God and need redemption from their sins. Listen, Jesus is coming soon. And there is no new truth, even though one of the modern quote-unquote theologians wrote a book called New Christianity. Listen, there's no such thing as new Christianity. There's only the old Christianity that was established by God through his son Jesus Christ when he gave them power on the day of Pentecost to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if we're going to give the world light, we have to give them truth. And only when we give them truth can they come out of the darkness and be led into the way of peace. Now, there are people that we would describe as good. They're a good person. But listen, there's never been one person and there never will be one person who is good enough to get into heaven without a savior. There's no such person as Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now listen, much of the church today is doing a great disservice to the people that they so, uh, minister to or reach out to. People don't like to hear that they're not good, but people need to hear that they're not good because that's what the Lord has stated is the result of his examination of all humankind throughout the course of history, both the past, present, and the future. People need to hear they need a savior. People need to hear that they are sinners Because walking in the light can only happen when you first recognize that you're in the dark. And therefore, this season before the rapture of the church, this season leading up to the coming of Christ for the second time, in between those two events is a time unlike any other in the history of the world, according to Jesus himself, who said, concerning those days, if he did not return and shorten it, it would kill every human being on the face of the earth. Listen. We need to tell anyone and everyone that Christ came to save sinners so they too can join the escape of this time that is coming upon the whole world and enjoy the pleasures of heaven uh, having been taken in the rapture of the church and return with him when he comes back to rule the world with a rod of iron, meaning rule it in righteousness. Listen, it is an amazing time to be alive. Tis the season of the nearness of the Lord's return. There's no question about that. There is a flurry of prophecy that is happening all around us. There are things happening uh, in our world today that are undeniable, irrefutable, clearly prophetic in nature, clearly the fulfillment of things written uh, both millennia and beyond ago. It is an amazing time 
for us to be the representatives of God, the ambassadors for Christ on the face of this earth. And listen, we cannot water down the gospel. We cannot minimize the word of God. We cannot deny or ignore the importance of prophecy because the spirit of Jesus is the spirit, or Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And therefore the central theme of the book is Jesus Christ. He was foretold where he would be born, how he would be born, that he would be called out of Egypt, that he would live in Nazareth, that he would be beaten brutally, even to the point where his visage was marred more than any man. We were told he would be beaten with stripes. We were told he would be beaten and hang on a cross between criminals. We were told that he would have a grave among the rich. And we were told that he will rise again. And we were told all of these things well in advance. So those who were alive at the time could say, that's him. I saw him in the word before it ever happened. Listen, that's happening right now. As I said, the Jews are back in the land as prophesied by Ezekiel chapter 37. The nations that are going to attack them, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, are in military alliance and they are geographically now located on the northern border of Israel, poised to invade Israel and strike them for the booty and plunder of their natural resources that have just recently been discovered. Have you considered that the Bible says that Israel is going to be a wealthy nation in the last days? And it wrote that when there was no such thing as national Israel. And here we are some 72 years later. And not only is this little tiny nation of Israel the same size, basically, of San Bernardino County, not only are the Jews back in the land, but Israel has, tiny Israel has the eighth largest economy in the whole world. And now they're finding oil. And now they found huge fields of natural gas. Well, listen, Russia needs that natural gas and they need that oil in order to continue to bolster their military-based economy. And Russia is struggling financially. Iran is struggling financially. Turkey is struggling financially. And guess who's going to invade Israel along with Libya and the Sudan, who are both absolutely decimated countries? It's going to be Russia. It's going to be Turkey. It's going to be the Persians or the Iranians. It's going to be Libya. And it's going to be Sudan. And they are all cooperating together. And the Bible said all of these things through the prophet Ezekiel long before they now some 2,500 plus years later are happening. What's that mean? Jesus is coming soon. And we are in a privileged season of history. And as the Lord himself said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him or by him. So listen, what do we need to do right now? Well, we need to go tell people about CCT. No, we need to go tell people about JC. And I don't mean John Calvin. Jesus Christ, amen? He's the one that people need to know about. We need to teach what the Bible teaches concerning man's need for a Savior, including that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, take advantage of this season. Even though the nativity scenes are seldom seen in this day, you'll see a Merry Christmas around here and there. You'll hear it at a store once in a while. Take full advantage of that moment and tell the real Christmas story to people around you because without Jesus, no one can be saved. And God has sent him to save the world. Amen?
And Father, we thank you for this season in which we now live. We pray, God, this morning that you would use us to reach others. And Lord, I pray that this morning you reached others in this very room today. And Lord, we recognize we live in a time of a great and severe famine of hearing your word. And yet we recognize that the beloved one, John, wrote that you cannot separate you from the word. And if someone says they have you, they must also have the word in their hearts. They must have a respect and make a confession that your word and the entirety of it is true. And Lord, yet we see so many today denying portions of the word, rejecting the mandates that you stated for morality and sexual activity and all these other things that so many uh, see as antiquated and outdated today. Yet your word is living and powerful, and it remains true from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. So listen this morning. Maybe you're here today, and and you've taken that cut-and-paste approach to the word of God. Maybe you've never made a decision for Christ. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, in case you didn't pick up on it, uh, if you're unsaved, you need a Savior, and God has supplied him in the person of Jesus. And listen, you're unsaved because you're a sinner just like the rest of us. And God didn't save us because the same way that he chose Israel. He didn't choose Israel because they were better than other people or more than other people. He said, listen, I picked you just because I set my love on you. I chose you to bring the Messiah into the world through. And listen, God has chosen to send his son, who is a Jew and still the king of the Jews today, into this world to save sinners. But he requires that sinners recognize they are sinners in order to save them. You see, he's not, he didn't come into the world to sell fire insurance, to simply avoid going to hell. He came into the world to pay the penalty price for your accumulated sins and to offer you redemption, justification, as the Bible puts it, meaning to have the right to go to heaven because it only comes through him. And if you haven't made that decision this morning, I hope we've made it clear that he's coming soon. And now is not the time to be messing around. Now is the time to know that you know that when Christ comes, you are saved and will be taken in the rapture of the church and live forever with him. How am I supposed to know that? Well, are you in agreement with the word of God? Jesus is the word. You can't be in disagreement with the word of God and say, you know, the God of the word. It's impossible. The two are inseparable. Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you recognize you need a savior? Well, God is willing and has supplied what's necessary to save you. It's just that simple. But it all begins in the same place for every Christian who's ever come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And that is, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe the only Savior is Jesus Christ the righteous. And I ask him to pay the redemption price for my lost soul and bring me back or buy me back from the law of sin and death, which is condemned all to an eternal destiny apart from him. So if you need to make that decision decision this morning, if you need to accept Christ as your Savior, I'm just going to ask you to do something quite simple because the fact is God does the work through a spirit in the heart of man. And yes, many wonderful preachers and pastors through the ages have had people come down front or walk down on a field or do all these other things, but that's not what does the saving. What does the saving is you in your heart saying, I see what the Bible says and I believe it and accept it. And if you would like to make that decision to believe God and to accept what he has offered to you, I'm just going to ask you to say, you know, yeah, I'm in. And lift your hand and say, yes, I want to accept Christ as my Savior and Lord. I'm not going to ask you to sing or do anything else or come down here. 
I just want you to acknowledge that God has done a work in your heart. If you're unsure, be sure this morning. Lift your hand up high where I can see it. If God has spoken to your heart and you say you want to accept him as Savior and Lord, anyone this morning, please don't let this moment get by. I believe the Lord could come for the church today. I believe he could rapture the church off the face of the earth today. You need to be ready. That's what Jesus said in the heart of his longest teaching regarding the subject of the last days. His longest answer to any question is called the Olivet Discourse. And right in the middle of it, he said, therefore, you also be ready because the Son of Man is coming and an hour people don't expect him. And listen, we can see the signs all around us. You need to be ready. I hope you're all ready this morning. Anybody in this last minute, I don't want to let this moment get by without making sure that everybody here is ready for heaven through Jesus. Amen. And Father, we are grateful this most blessed Sunday for your word. We thank you for communicating clearly. And we thank you, Lord, that as we have studied the many, many blessings and benefits of knowing you, Lord, we thank you that you have ended our year with a reminder of why you came and what the components of the gospel message are today. And Lord, where many are forsaking or abandoning that, um, which is the age-old truth, as Jeremiah said, the old path where the good way is, where you can find rest for your souls. Lord, we say this morning, we believe your word. We believe the inseparable link between you and salvation. We believe that your blood was sufficient to save and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So thank you for this room full of saints this morning. I pray, Lord, that they would go out today and reach others who need you and not compromise truth or water it down, but simply, as Spurgeon said, let the lion out of the cage and let it do its thing. So, Lord, I pray this morning that during this Christmas season, we would take advantage of this season and tell people about the Christ child who came and grew up and lived and died and is coming again in his resurrected form and glorified state. We give you thanks this morning for our time together. In Jesus' name, and all the saints agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.